Greetings through Christ. Because of him and in him, we are here. I'd like to speak from uh, the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians has many different themes, speaks a lot of Christ. Chapter 2 talks, uh, well, I've used the title for this chapter before, Before and After, how things were before and how they are now as Christians, as believers in Christ, as children of God. And um, chapter 4, the first part of chapter 4 speaks of the basis of unity for the church and what the church wants to do, but then there's a shift in the last half of, of Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 17 that I'd like to treat this morning, and that deals with personal holiness, and that's the title of the message this morning, personal holiness. The apostle challenges his readers as to how they live. He says, don't live, don't walk as other Gentiles. Now, the Ephesian church was basically a Gentile church. I'm sure there were some Jews there. Uh, I think chapter, <clears throat> chapter 2 talks about how these two groups were fitting together. Apparently, they faced their challenges. You know, these, these Jews that believed in Christ and these Gentiles that believed in Christ, but they came from two very diverse backgrounds but he's apparently addressing particularly the Gentiles here and, and they're the challenges that they faced. Now, I don't know where you think you fit in. Literally, you were Gentiles. I doubt if, I doubt if few, very many of us actually could trace our lineage back to Abraham. And yet, many of us do have a, a godly setting that helped to form who we are and our our values, our perspectives in life. And yet, the Gentile or ungodly world around us is pretty close. We're all affected by our ungodly culture. We know about it. We're tempted in various ways. We have these influences that can tend to warp our perspectives. And so I think this, these verses are very challenging to all of us. If nothing else, we all have a fallen nature that if we just go into default mode, we find ourselves fitting in with the Gentiles very well. So I'd like to read then from Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 17. <clears throat> this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. 
If so be, ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I think we probably know what he means by walking here, but just to be sure, walking is not talking about putting one foot in front of the other. Now, walking here is a metaphor for your way of life. How do you live? That is your walk. But it's a very apt one, you know, as you're walking, you're, you're kind of moving ahead as, as time and you move on together. Uh, you see new things, new things happen, and, and, and how you walk is, a, a, is pretty um, descriptive of who you are. Whether a person swaggers or staggers says something about who you are. Whether you walk carefully to avoid peril You know, behind our house, occasionally there comes a viper. And when I go down there, I'm a bit careful about how I walk, where I walk. And there's, metaphorically speaking, there's perils in how we walk and where we walk in life, too. Things can spring out and snatch us, attack us, poison us. Do we walk knowing where we're going with a purpose? We'll go down here and we'll take a left and we'll go there. We won't end up there. Or do we wander around not really paying much attention to where we are and with really no concept of where we want to end up? Though there's many parallels to a physical walk and a spiritual walk. But the Apostle Paul challenges here, he says, don't walk the way the Gentiles do. Don't live the way the Gentiles do. Well, how do they live? Well, he goes on to explain that. They have their understanding darkened. It's darkened. You know, vision depends on light. I guess maybe I wanted to talk about this a little later, but what does talk about it? Vision depends on light. If we're in the dark, we don't see things, do we? Pitch blackness, our vision is useless. Does that change the reality of what's there? Now, if I come down here and walk back the aisle... Um, fairly narrow, but there's a place for me to walk. And if, you know, in the daylight, I can easily see to go to the back of the church. If things were pitch black, it would be a bit more of a challenge, wouldn't it? I doubt if it was pitch black, if my vision was useless, if I could easily, without hitting and touching anything, walk down these steps, turn Navigate my way to the center aisle and walk back to the door without running into something. 
The reason Gentiles, the reason the ungodly make such a mess of their lives is because they really can't see things the way they are. There's darkness there. We shake our heads at the ungodliness of our world today. Sometimes maybe we're tempted to think, you know, we, we live in, in, in this is about the epitome of ungodliness, the culture in which we live. And yet, we should recognize that the people that Paul was writing to probably had it a good bit worse, really. Um, and, and I just listed a number of things here that just uh, speak of the ungodliness of our culture, denial of God, persecution of Christians, the murderer of children, the practice and promotion of deviant sexuality in many forms, war and destruction. Every one of those areas was worse in the Greek culture. Yeah, we think abortion is bad. They didn't just kill, they would just abandon babies out along the road. The father of the home had the prerogative, if he didn't like the child, he thought there was something wrong with it, or if he was, he had a good idea that the child really wasn't his, put it out by the road, leave it somewhere. And then anybody was free to pick it up and raise it for a slave or, you know, hey, it was worse then. That's just one example. You know, the, there, there were parts of Greek culture that warfare was just the focus of their lives. They had slaves to do their work, and they could focus on being soldiers. And they were ready to fight a drop of a hat. Uh, we do have things to uh, be thankful for from our culture. There, there is an attempt to hold back some of these tendencies of man. But this is how the Gentiles walked. And... Yes, people today still exhibit some of these tendencies, even though it wasn't, it's not as bad. Why did they live that way? Well, it says they walked in darkness, but they walked in the vanity of their mind. Now, we use the term vanity to mean uh, egotism. However, the meaning here, I think, is a bit different, more like it was used in the book of Ecclesiastes where the writer said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He's really speaking of something that's useless and futile. They walk in the futility, in the uselessness of their minds. And I believe that the both the New King James and the, the New International Version says here they live, these Gentiles live in the futility of their thinking, the uselessness of them trying to figure things out by themselves. We, however, should also 
consider our lives, are there things in our lives that are useless and futile, purposeless? Our lesson this morning was a good challenge. Do we, do we really invest in things that matter, in things that last? The next 24 hours, will it be invested in something that has eternal values and will have a an eternal effect in the kingdom of God. This week, what what do you plan to do? Do you have an itinerary? Do you have a um, you know a daytime or something? Where what what all does it speak of? Now, working in physical things can have eternal value. When y'all fix, ladies fixing a meal, or men helping, um, that's that's serving the Lord too. Let's not have this rarefied uh, concept that you know it's only those things where we're down on our knees praising God or helping somebody that just absolutely helpless that has eternal value. We can do all things. For God, but let's make sure that we do all things in a way that glorifies God and not ourselves. Well, walking in the dark, we talked about these Gentiles had their understanding darkened, but walking in the dark, well, it's happened to me. I get up. I remember, particularly when we had young children, that, you know, we, we divided up our responsibilities, and a child would wake up at night. Well, that was mine. And so, you know, you, you stumble out of bed. And, and uh, I remember one time when my toe met up with a rocking chair, and the results weren't very pleasant. Um. Walking in the dark is not a good way to live. You usually end up being wounded. <coughs> and, and I had to think of, of the how that a parallel that is to our to our our pagan culture. Um, many lives are darkened because they're based on the untruth. They're based on lies. I'll give you some illustrations. Um, some lies in our culture. One is evolution, that everything just happened and that God is not the creator. Feminism is another. Atheism, humanism, that man is his own God. And there's many other philosophies that present life in a darkened state that present lies and invite people to base their lives on these lies. And if you really examine the life that's based on any of these philosophies, it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster. 
Now, that doesn't mean that our lives are always going to be perfect. Sometimes we get it wrong, too. I don't want to give the idea that, that we're just so very superior. Sometimes. I've done things in my life that I regret, but it's because of basing one's perspective on the untruth. People walk in the dark when they base their lives on what is not true. Truth itself is being redefined. Truth, you can, you can Google it. Truth, what is truth? And, uh, you know, is, are, is the truth the same for everybody? I mean, this, this sounds like somebody that's, you know, not quite very bright. But it's, it's out there. It's, it's openly div, uh, discussed that, well, yeah, your truth might be different from my truth. Well, you're talking about a different truth than what I'm talking about. Truth is fixed. Truth, like God, does not change. And if we try to adopt the philosophy, well, that might be true for you, but it's not really true for me. Um... It just simply doesn't work. Truth is not different for every person. That's a ridiculous synonymy. You can't go up and down at the same time. You can't add four and four and get eight sometimes and six another time. That's just ridiculous. You can't make gold from salt. You can't be both guilty and not guilty at the same time. We need to be assured that truth is, is not something that changes. Truth is based on God and His principles. We can let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. And let's always hold to truth that's based on God and His principles. The essence of God is truth. God has many aspects uh, but truth is one of them. Truth and God are synonymous. And what the scripture says is true. And if we reject that truth, then we're believing a lie, we're, we're walking in darkness, we're accepting something that will end up in our hurt. When people reject the reality of God, because he doesn't reveal himself to them in the way that they would choose. We, that person is placing perception above reality. We can have a perception of something. I've thought about that when I had to graduate to, to bifocals, that my perception changes right here. There's a difference in perception above and below that line. And, and you, might, you, know, you might reach for a step that isn't quite where you thought it was because your perception is wrong. Well, uh, thinking of life in general, people might perceive certain things. They might convince themselves that, 
hey, it's okay to, to live in immorality. You know, God made us this way. And so, uh, you know, they have that perception of life where God says that's not true. I had to think of the old story about the gentleman that, uh, I mean, this was back in the turn, you know, of over 100 years ago. But, uh, you know, they were talking about these, these horseless carriages that just buzz down the road without any horse to pull them or anything else. And I said, no, I said, that's impossible. Ain't, ain't no such thing. And then one day, one came down the road in front of his house. And his family said, look, Grandpa, <laughs> this, hey, look, it's going right there. You see it? He said, I don't want to see it. He chose to place perception above reality. That's how the Gentiles were doing. They had certain perceptions of things, but the reality was different. And they chose not to believe it, chose not to believe the truth in God. That's called self-delusion. Let's never delude ourselves. Don't walk as the Gentiles walk in darkness, in self-delusion, in putting perception above reality. Just because I'm walking back there and I have a perception that this is an open room and I can walk back to the other end anywhere I want to doesn't keep me from colliding with the pews. And just because we have a certain perception of life and what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is not doesn't change the reality that God has established of how one should live. It talks about these people living in the ignorance of their minds. Now, some ignorance is uh, it comes because people simply haven't been exposed to truth. Other ignorance is chosen. Um, a couple verses from Second Peter. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust or their own perceptions and saying, where is the promise of his coming, the coming of Christ? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Everything is continuing as it always has, and so it will always continue that way, they said. For this they were willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. And then he talks about how the flood came. And so he said, look, not everything is continuous always as it had. It's, it's not always been this way. There was a time when there was a huge destruction on the face of the earth. And only by the grace of God did man survive and animal life survive. And there will come another time when there will be a huge destruction on the earth. But people 
can just turn their their eyes away from those things and refuse to see the car going down the road. We have a responsibility before God. We can't say, well, you know, I didn't know. I thought this was the way it was. Had to think of the verses that we have in Romans 1. It talks about uh, the the pagans who worshipped idols <coughs> and where all this led them. They glorified, they did not glorify God as God. They were unthankful. They were vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened again. They thought they were wise. In reality, they were foolish. They created idols to meet some concept of God and made their own gods in the image of man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things and said, therefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie or accepted a lie instead of believing the truth, worshiped and served the creator more, uh, the creature more than the creator. He says, they had the opportunity to know there was even nature itself tells us that there is a God, that he expects something of us. We can see that in nature. Gentiles, it says here, walk with blindness of heart. Verse 18 of Ephesians 4, because of the blindness of their heart. The heart, as used in Scripture, refers to the seat of affection what you love more than anything else. It refers to your emotion. It refers to your will. Yes, there are things that you want to do, but somehow there's something within you that can override something that you want to do either from your the center part of your soul, your spirit, or the things that you intellectually reason through there, there you, you, can, you can choose. And God says you're responsible for the choices that you make. But your, your affection, your emotion, your will, when these, when these principles are not subjected to the light of Christ, they leave a person confused and without direction. One example that we see here uh, later on, I haven't read these verses yet, but uh, verse, um, verse 24 talks about, uh, no, verse yeah, 25 speaks of anger. It says, don't let anger control you. You control your anger. And, and so you can exercise your will in overcoming these things. But... The only way that we can do that is if we let in God's light into our lives and we accept what he says is true. And I'd like to read then verses 24 through uh, 32, the end of the chapter, that she put on the new man. There's a number of things that we're commanded to put on, some things we're told to put off. Um. 
Think of it in terms of like dressing yourself. You put on this so this is what is visible. This is what's between you and the world around you. Put on certain things and put off certain things. It's you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Therefore, for putting away lying, speak every man truth to his neighbor. We are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place, give opportunity to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. The thing is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed in the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But rather be ye kind one to another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. These are manifestation of God's holiness expressing themselves through our lives, in our lives. Speak the truth when it's convenient and when it's not. Lying is always an affront to the one deceived. But it's also an affront to God and his character. Speak the truth. Deal it rightly with anger. Anger is usually selfish. We express anger because of our own self-interest. We're upset because somebody did something that is offensive to me or inconveniences me or defeats my plans, and so we can become angry. Anger is a natural response to people who are self-centered. And when they don't get their way, they become angry. Anger is a controlling, manipulative emotion. Anger is what wells up within us when we feel something is wrong. The Bible does say at one point that Jesus looked around upon some others with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their heart. He was upset because of these people. They had no concern about a poor man that was there to be healed, and all they were concerned about is their own, their own um, egos, I really think. They were hard-hearted against other people and they were so concerned about themselves. And he was angry because of the hardness of their heart. It wasn't because they had done something against him, but just because they were ruining themselves and they they wanted to stop somebody else from experiencing something good. Sometimes we use the term righteous anger. Let's be careful that we don't allow righteous anger to be slip into unrighteous anger. 
where it becomes something personal. That it's not a petty outrage over some slight against ourselves, but that if we're ever upset at others, it's because of our love for them and our love for other people. But he says here, don't let anger control you. Don't let it continue to, to, to eat at you. Deal with it. Let it go. Don't let the devil get a toehold in your life. Resist him. The, uh, the Gentiles here, the devil was the one who primarily directed their lives because they rejected God, they worshipped other things, they lived in a very ungodly way. But the challenge here is don't let the devil introduce things into your life. Don't let him influence your decisions. Don't let him control you. Reject him. Resist him. He comes both as a roaring lion to try to intimidate us, but he also comes as an angel of light, Scripture says, offering us something that's good and pleasant. That's how he came to Eve. And she fell for it. Sometimes we do, too. Resist him. Temptations are aroused both by fear and desire. We may be tempted to do evil because we're afraid of the results if we don't. But we're more commonly tempted to do wrong because we desire what is not right. Refuse both. Have a proper attitude about things. It says here, don't take something that belongs to somebody else. Now, very few of us would be tempted very much to break into somebody's house and pick up something and take it for ourselves. But do we ever accept credit for something that really belongs to somebody else? Or do we ever envy others? and wish we had it instead of them having it. To be greedy is having a wrong attitude about things. We're challenged here, rather than being selfish, to be unselfish and to liberally share and give. Whether it be material things or time <coughs> or energy, we're challenged here to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He is the one that can take you to the judgment day and make you stand there with a smile. Be sensitive to His voice. Sometimes he says, look, you should do this. Sometimes he tells us, don't. Holds up a big red stop sign. 
Listen. Listen. Whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. We have that stamp of the presence of God in our lives. Don't, don't grieve him. And then he challenges us to be kind, to be tender, to be forgiving. We have many opportunities to do that. We have many opportunities to be unkind and to be harsh and to be unforgiving. It's our choice. It's pretty easy to excuse ourselves in some, you know, I do pretty good, but yeah, I know there, but it was just one time. And I have to think of the saying that no chain is stronger than its weakest link. <laughs> and your character is no stronger than its weakest link either, and mine. I think it behooves us to know where the weak link is and to pay some special attention to it. That we be careful not to stress that link to avoid things that might put pressure on it. In closing, I'd like to go back to verse 20. We're challenged here in how we have learned Christ. How have you seen the life of Christ? What do you know about him? What has he taught you? And then I think he would say, go and do thou likewise. Jesus, my Savior, let me be more perfectly conformed to Thee. Thank you for your good attention. May God bless us. May God help us to walk not as the Gentiles, but as Jesus Christ.